Welcome to SBO Perspectives, the pulse of school business. And the official podcast of ASBO International. The official podcast. And I am Dr. Jack R. Mitchell here along with the esteemed... John Bricado. That's right. Oh, it gets so much smoother every time. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, our devoted podcast listeners, we have another gem for you today. John, let them know. Yeah, today we're diving into the legal aspects of school districts, and we have a partner at Gersio and Gersio, Chris Shisko. He takes time out of his busy day to walk us through all the legal challenges and pitfalls that school districts may find themselves in. It really kind of gives us a, a global view of just kind of where things are trending and what we as school business officials can kind of look out for and be prepared for. So it's a very fascinating conversation, a little technical at times, but uh, you know, it's something that I think we can all get something out of. So we hope Absolutely. you enjoy our conversation with Chris today. Today on the podcast, we have Christopher Shisko. Christopher is a partner at Gersio and Gersio Attorneys at Law. Chris, welcome to the podcast. We're happy to have you. Thanks for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Chris, how are you? How's it going, Dr. Mitchell? Jack? (laughs) (laughs) I love it. See, Chris has such a great sense of humor. Um, And I have to tell you that, you know, Chris, um, for the longest, I'm like, this guy is like one of the best attorneys in the state. And I've always wanted to have him you know, as far as like representing my district. So it's great that this year um, you guys have come in doing a wonderful job. But that's separate and aside to to our podcast here. We want to really uh, gain a sense of what's the latest going on. Um, and before we really get into it, folks may not know you that well. I know you may know Gersio and Gersio. Um, I, I was talking to John Pryor how um, I know Kathy Ahern does a lot of presentations upstate and whatnot. Um so if you if you want, because like I've known you for probably eight years now, and I remember when you were just kind of like tagging along with the partners, it's great to see the transition, right? Um, that you're you're not the big guy. We just see your office right now, and we're just looking at that early on too. It's, it's so so pretty cool. I feel like a little kid right now. Um, but so you've been recently elevated, right, as partner? Um, I guess maybe last year or so. Um, if you can maybe kind of go into your career there, Gerson Gerson, and pretty much. I want to know, in particular, what do you like best about what you do in working with school districts? Because you work so well with us in uh, many districts. Thank you for that. It's definitely a pleasure working with you. And and there's something that I think every lawyer knows, and that is the most important thing you have in your life is your reputation. And, you know, we work very hard to maintain that reputation. So I I definitely appreciate being invited here. And, you know, those are very nice things to hear um, from someone I work with uh, closely. And I I do enjoy working with you Um, in terms of, you know, me being promoted to a partner. um, It's a huge honor. I've worked at Gersio for 12 years. Um, I'm now a senior partner, which means that I'm one of the owners of the firm. Um, Greg Gersio, I mean, he's a fixture in this industry. He built a really mm-hmm. amazing firm. I, I do. I think we provide. I believe we provide the best representation of school districts across the state. I don't know if I, this is out there. I, I know it's out there, but I don't know if everyone knows it. But Chris Mastecki, who's one of the other senior partners here, is going to be taking over as managing partner in July of this year. Oh, I think congrats, are, Chris. Chris and Chris. I know Chris. You guys do presentations all the time. Not to interrupt you, but Chris and Chris. It wasn't confusing. You know, you don't look alike, but it is the same name. (laughs) Uh, If you you ask for Chris or Chris, uh, you're going to get the right answer. That's what we like to say. Um, Perfect. 
I think we're really, really well structured to move into a new generation with our firm. I'm excited about you know what the future has in store for us as a firm, for me professionally, and I hope our clients are as well. Um, you know, it's it's an exciting time. We have uh, our firm's principle. If you go on our website, you'll see it's client first, comma always, period. School districts. Wow. I mean, and we we live by that. School districts bring like a host of different legal issues. They cover every topic we learned in law school and a lot of things we didn't. Um, it's very fulfilling to me as an attorney to use the things that I learned in law school um, and apply them in a really meaningful way. A lot of attorneys will say, I, I don't use anything I learned in law school. We're the opposite. We, we use contracts, we use torts, constitutional law, property law, evidence, we do hearings. Um, so it really is um, the whole package of, um, of what at least lawyers are trained to do and mm -hmm. representing school districts gives me the opportunity to do that with while keeping in mind that guiding principle of everything we do is client first always good stuff hey listen real quick how many districts do you do represent i'm curious around the state i think it's 67 right now i don't know the exact well, number off okay it's, it's good. a lot cool Right. Yeah, well, it sounds like there's a lot happening at Gersio and Gersio, and you're on the ground floor, Chris. So congratulations on your ascension and the rest of your group, too. Uh, like you said, it sounds like a, a good pathway into the future is, la is laid out. So moving beyond your firm and really just kind of speaking outside of what law firms offer to school districts, you know, obviously legal advice is super important and a big piece of what law firms offer to school districts. But can you speak to what you think is maybe one of the most important services, like a, maybe a value add that law firms can offer to school districts? Yeah, I, it, it's a great question because it's it's not just legal advice and, and that's, you know, lawyers give legal advice, but really a school law firm's relationship and institutional knowledge is the most valuable, important service that we can provide. We've represented a lot of our districts for 20, 30, and some for even 40, school, 40 years, right? Our, we, our, we embrace technology and I think all law firms should um, we have the ability to quickly and efficiently access information regarding the issues that our individual clients have had over the years, as well as what all of our clients have had. And I think having that relationship and institutional knowledge of your clients lets you uh, leverage the information, avoid issues that have happened in the past, and creatively address problems based on what's been done in the past without both reinventing the wheel and also maintaining some type of continuity um, with uh, with your clients so that you're doing things consistently uh, more often than not. Um, I, you know, I said before that a lawyer's reputation is everything they have, and that's that's true. I mean, it's something that I think every lawyer should uh, should understand and acknowledge. The relationships you have with your clients are the most valuable thing that you have. Fundamentally, it's not just about, it's not about giving legal advice or telling them what the law says, it's about having that relationship. Uh, if you can build a relationship with a client, they'll have trust between the district and the law firm. That trust is integral. You cannot function effectively without trust. We value the relationship and the trust more than a lot of people realize. And if we can establish and maintain a relationship of trust, I know that's the most important service a law firm can provide. You know, you said something that really struck me and I think would resonate a lot with our listenership is that institutional knowledge and the relationship being two of one of the more important pieces to law firms and school districts working copacetically. And just to kind of dive into that institutional knowledge piece, 
Um, I guess that's a little bit more of a technical question, but, you know, as school districts, we need to do our due diligence and do requests for proposals and make sure that we're getting the best value in the services that we're soliciting. How do you compete with a law firm that's been in a school district for five, 10 years uh, with that institutional knowledge? Like, what is your approach to kind of really hit the ground running with a new client? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it, that's a question that I wish I could say there's a definitive answer to. But the answer is, if you have a client that has, a, if there's a district that has that strong relationship and trust with their law firm, I, I would venture that it's impossible to convince them to change to another law firm because those are fundamentally the relationship a school, it's a school district looks for. Um, if a law firm has eroded that relationship and harmed it and hurt their trust, which can be done in any number of ways. It's not just, um, you know, they might have given a, a wrong answer on something. It's they're not communicating effectively or they're addressing issues in a way that the board is getting frustrated with. Um, or and, and the most common one is on a very serious matter, a law firm gives advice that either turns out to be incorrect or they simply don't you know, prevail in court, even though the, the law firm defended it. Um, so, you know, certainly when, you know, when we see schools put out an RFP um, and, you know, we, we, we wonder to ourselves, are they happy with their law firm and checking off the box? And if that's the case, I think it's important for us to go there and put our best foot forward and say, look, you could be you could have the best relationship you want. But I think our firm offers something that I, I believe it. I think we offer something that other law firms don't, both in the technology and the level of service. And I want to be able to say, look, at the very least, I'd like you to know what's out there. And, you know, at, at the worst would be you walk out and I say, well, I didn't hire you because I thought that you, you couldn't do the work. If right. they say we like our firm, we would not we don't want to leave. Um, outside of that, there are ways to address the institutional knowledge, and technology is a big part of that. That's something we've really focused on and, and implemented of having the ability to really process a huge amount of data quickly and have it searchable in our uh, electronic system. That, that's something that I think makes us stand out um, in being able to do that. We've, we've had good success in districts when they do transition to a new law firm. But the simple answer is if you have a law firm that has a strong trusting relationship with their client, they're not going to leave that law firm. And on the, on the relationship piece, are you finding that school districts are kind of settled with one law firm and they rely on that firm for everything? Or are districts kind of maybe having a relationship with a law firm specific for like contractual matters and then using another law firm for, I don't know, uh, taxing issues or something like that? Are there, is it kind of mixing and matching? Are you kind of finding school districts are just doubling down on one firm? Um, I, certainly more and more towards the specialization. For a long time, it was pretty common for a school to have general and labor counsel. Sometimes it's the same. Some school districts don't like their labor counsel and their general counsel being the same firm because it mm -hmm. puts, yeah, seen that. Um, you know, they, they feel that it puts the employees at, a, at odds with the law firm sometimes. I don't necessarily agree with that, but I understand it. M much more and more recently, we have seen um, like what you had mentioned, specialty areas even within, I mean, it's already a fairly specialized area, but uh, property tax issues, which um, is something that near and dear to me, I, I, it's it's an area that I, I, I like a lot. It's something I did before I came and worked here. Um, property tax issues and, and construction, 
Um, when you have a big bond project, it's not uncommon that we'll hear from a, a school district to say, look, you know, we, we want another, we want a law firm that's handled a lot of construction projects. We've done a lot of litigation on that, on construction matters. So um, we do see that. And, and districts sometimes will hire special education counsel if they don't, uh, if they don't think that um, the law firm they have has enough capacity to do that. Um, so it's, it's certainly more of it. Um, but uh, I, I think all firms, they all try to cover all of those areas. Um, but certainly when you get into a very high stakes tax or construction issue, uh, we've seen districts reach out to say, we, you know, may, maybe someone who does more of this would, uh, would be better served. Sure. I think that makes a lot of sense, too. You know, as you said, as times change, there's more specialization and needs for that. Um, and I guess with that, I, I want to kind of get a sense of, you know, we've been maybe more than three years now from the start of the pandemic. It was last month, right? So um, nowadays, just in general, what type of trends are you currently seeing overall in school law? You know, um, what do you believe might be maybe in store for the future? So, I mean, there's always going to be new issues on the horizon. It's it's an exciting industry for that reason. Um, I still see some issues relating to opting out of tests. I know that that some of that seems to have been forgotten. Really? When the pandemic started, but we are seeing some of that. I, the tax cap is always, in my mind, an area that um, we're, we're always looking at what's going to happen and, and how that works both with within the district and also how it relates to other taxing jurisdictions. Um, often, a lot, oftentimes, the old issues come back; they're repackaged, but they're the same things. The ones that I see more, you know, generally are the tension between the local control of a school board and the state's authority to direct schools to take action. Um, we're, mm. we're definitely seeing a move, uh, the pandemic definitely uh, moved in that direction, but um, uh, you know, schools are charged, the boards are charged with overseeing and approving a curriculum and issues related to curriculum. I don't wanna say they haven't been as prominent, but they're certainly prominent right now. Um, and. Um, I anticipate there's going to be legal challenges on parental rights to control their children's education. Um, if you go to the school board meetings and you'll hear discussion of that, that that tends to lead toward challenges as to whether those parents do have those rights or not. Um, for, you know, for the business officials, look, fiscal stability is always there, right? I mean, the school's been very well funded for the past few years um, at federal and state level. The elimination, you know, the gap elimination adjustment and the full funding of, of state aid is, is certainly, uh, you know, welcome news. If there's an economic downturn, it's it's hard to predict what legal issues are going to arise. But all of a sudden, a lot of districts are going to have to dust off some of those old questions of um, austerity and what happens when we don't have enough money to do things. Um, and those are difficult conversations to have, and you have to be very careful about about them, particularly if it comes to reducing size and staff and program and those types of things. Um, I know no one likes to talk about it, but it is something that um, I, I think may. I don't want to say it's it's inevitable, but if there's an economic downturn, there's certainly uh, those issues are on the horizon. And are you consulting with your fellow attorneys, maybe across state lines? I know your primary focus is New York, but you know when you had mentioned the curriculum issues and the local control, I can't help but think of what's been going on in Florida with Governor DeSantis and an argument being made that maybe there's way too much overreach from state legislature into and state executive branch into local control. Are you kind of using those? examples as tea leaves for what could happen in New York and across the states? Like, what, how are you kind of navigating those choppy waters? So it, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think 
when the news reports issues related to education, there's sort of gloss over the fact that education is one of the areas where there is still sort of 50 states with the 50, you know, different ways of doing things. There are clearly federal laws that govern schools. So that, you know, that that issue of the local control within states and how different states approach that, it's always been, and I, I wouldn't want to, you know, sort of generalize different states, but when you watch some of the larger states, the higher population states, um, they do, you know, they occupy the news as to what they do. Um, New York has not uh, historically had similar rules to what Florida is proposing in terms of parental rights. And that means that there will be questions, there will be doubt as to whether it's truthful that New York works a certain way or not. Um, and, and that's, again, going back to the relationship, you have to have a level of trust where they believe you when you're saying something, as opposed to just saying, well, I'm here and I'm telling you something you don't want to hear. Um, at the federal level, we are seeing a ton of, of decisions. I, I mean, just um, the, the Mahoney Area School District decision involving the cheerleader, that, oh, yeah. that, I mean, that case you know, calls into question a lot of things in New York that uh, the Dignity for All Students Act and how much it can be applied after school. You know, other states have not, not every state has an anti-bullying law the way New York does. Um, so okay. certainly when, I mean, I'm a member of the of Council of School Attorneys, that's the nationwide version of the New York State School Boards Association. So certainly when we go to those conferences, I, I'm talking to other attorneys in other states, you know, how are you dealing with things? Um, and, and of course, New York has very different um, rules when it comes to employee discipline. So that's that's often a common place on which the states diverge. Uh, but I do think it's becoming more and more pronounced that different states have different rules on the education system. And I, I think you do see people looking to where they're going to live in the country, part in based in part and maybe a large part on what ideology they have relative to how a school should be operated. That, that, that kind of leads me to my, my next question. I mean, you you'd brought up a, one case in particular, but for our listeners out there, what are some recent cases that you're seeing as some real hot button issues and how would they be affecting school districts and what would that impact be moving forward? There's, a, there's, there's many of them. I, I'm at the federal level. I, it's been in the news a lot the, the past couple of weeks, the Groff versus the Postal Service case that were there, you have a uh, an employee challenging the denial of a religious accommodation and the standard that's been around for 50 some odd years for granting or denying religious accommodations. I think that area is going to be um, you know, a it's very significant area over the next <laughs> yeah. 15 years um, because there's a tension between religious beliefs and uh, directives that you may be getting from um, a, an agency as to how to implement certain rules. Um, so, you know, that case, while it's not directly related to schools, I think is going to be very, very important. Um, the Janus decision in which the Supreme Court mm -hmm. that the agency fee is unconstitutional, that obviously had a huge impact on states with strong unions, um, where we're still seeing what the impact of that is and, and how far that goes and, and what will come from that case in terms of other, um, our other lawsuits. Um, some of the cases regarding the pandemic, regarding the masks, regarding the authority of the state and the schools, the protocols that the state issued and whether they were doing that properly, there are still challenges that are pending. 
Um, I think those decisions, when they come out, will give, um, you know, for the lawyers, we always look at the laws that underlie how things were done. And when you see those decisions, they give you insight into what are the, really the boundaries? How far can you go? Do you have the authority to do this? And does the state have the authority to do that? So I think those decisions are, are going to be important much you know more much more close to the schools there are commissioners decisions that are coming out that in my mind really show a less deference to local control particularly when it comes to student discipline matters um, really some strong language about students going you know long-term suspensions and especially with students with disabilities we're definitely seeing sed the state education department reflecting their concern that districts may not voluntarily comply and thus the need for them to make things mandatory. We just saw that with the indigenous people imagery. The, the regions came out with their regulations and some of their commentary was, for 20 years we suggested you do this, now we're saying you must do it. And, and with the, the comment you made on the mask, just kind of still waiting on litigation to play out on that, I'm just making an assumption here, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, is the concern now, I mean, the, ma the whole masking thing is almost a thing of the past, right? Not many people are wearing masks. There aren't mandates like there used to be. But is the concern now that this is more of a precedent-setting kind of case? And the concern is that if this goes through and it's okay, this may give states authority to impose other restrictions that otherwise could be infringement on free speech or however you want to couch it. Uh, yeah, but there's no question that, that it's... Um it's it's more than just what was going on at the time. It's as you the term precedent is important. Is was it legal? Was it did they follow the rules? Do the courts say you know that is the proper procedure to use, whether it's an emergency or not? Historically, courts have been strongly deferential to government entities during pandemics and emergencies, and the, those cases go back to you know the tuberculosis, um, you know the, those types of pandemics. Um, so we haven't really seen the courts sort of address those same issues under the lens of what's going on today. So, you know, in part, it's fascinating, but it's also very um, it, it, it's very it's interesting to see what the courts will say about the process that was followed, whether there was authority at all and how far they go. Do they do they essentially say they could have gone much further? And if so, you know, where where do we end up with that? Um, mm -hmm. You know, and then there's and there's always the, the the everyday things. There's the Washingtonville school district case about whether schools have to provide transportation to private schools. That's going to the court of appeals. That case could have happened at any point. Um, so that right. was watching closely. Um, I personally have quite a few appeals pending over over property tax issues. That's something that I find interesting. There hasn't been a lot of. Um, not a lot of court cases addressing the tax cap, and I, I'm excited to kind of see the extent to which the courts do speak about it, what they think about it, what they and, and if they'll even delve into the, the complexity of it or just sort of treat it superficially and just say, you know, either yes, it's okay or no. Can't wait for that one. You know, we had a quick run-in years ago with the Greenacres Pilot. Oh, my gosh. Says a whole nother podcast there. Um, but, you know, Chris, I mean, you're so knowledgeable. Uh, you guys... What I, I do appreciate the most is when you do have these cases, you make them applicable and you put it in, in layman's terms for us to all understand. Um, and this is great. Now, I want to know from this perspective, what are some of the most difficult, I guess, things you encounter on a job? And, and, and why do you think, you, you know, what's the most difficult part of the job for you there in general? Um, 
you know, no one wants to hear lawyers complain, so I won't complain. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I was saying complain, but I just, you have such a complex, you know, not to interrupt you, but you have so many things you just spoke upon, these issues. And so for me, I'm just curious, like, where is the biggest challenge that you face? I, I think for us, for me as a lawyer and as a firm, ensuring a consistently high quality work for our clients. Um, we work really hard to, to do to be the best at what we do um, in the firm. For us, that means vigilance. We have to review our work. We have to review each other's work. We have to be constructively critical of each other. We have to make sure, and this really shouldn't just be law within one law firm, it should be across the practice that we don't allow attorneys to cut corners or fall into that trap of giving the advice they think the client wants to hear. You, the, 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 you know, we represent school boards when we obviously work with administration on a day-to-day -day basis, but our clients are entitled to the right answer. It's not necessarily the answer they want to hear, and that requires us to have a very high level of confidence when we give an answer. You know, I go back to building that trusting relationship. It's not easy to tell a client, I know you don't want to hear this answer, but this is the legal advice. And if you're challenged on it, I will support it and I will defend you and I believe you will prevail. And when that happens and we are challenged, you know, it, it's, it's, it's stressful. It's, grat it's really gratifying when you give advice and you win. But it's very, very difficult while you're waiting for that because you know that your relationship with your client is is partly on trial. It's strained because you're being put to the test. So I, I, I think that's the most difficult part of what we do. And, you know, I think just as important, it's the school districts, your clients need to be kind of prepared for that kind of news that may be difficult. It's not every not every case is going to be a win. Not every situation is going to prevail in, in their favor. So what is some of your advice and with these common challenges? Like what are those challenges and what can school districts do to kind of better prepare themselves as a client of a law firm? Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, without belittling any of the things because all legal issues are important. Uh, but I think the most common thing that I see is inconsistency in a communication protocol both within the district and between the law firm, the administration, and the board. Um, clearly, when you're not communicating properly, the, the school as an organization doesn't function as efficiently as it can. And I think it's important for the law firm and administration and the board to have a real conversation about how to make that not happen. Um, if you can agree on a functioning and efficient communication protocol, it avoids the unnecessary questioning that comes up, and it all leads back to that trust. If, if a board and administration thinks, I trust my lawyer, I know they're not trying to do something improper, you can accomplish so much more than you can when everybody's sort of looking at each other saying, "Who, you know, who's taking advantage of who here? And so I think that's probably the most common challenge, and I think every district works toward it, and they could all do better. But you know, many you know ones where they really have not focused on that. I think that's something that they should um, should prioritize. The loss of institutional knowledge. I mean, there's been so much uh, turnover. Um, you know, a lot of superintendents have retired. A lot of people are moving up um, from you know the the mid-level administrative positions. We're seeing probably more new administrators in the past five years than we saw maybe for the ten years before. For that. Um, so that lack of institutional knowledge or the loss when there's a change is is very, very difficult for um, yeah, for for you know institutions to mm -hmm. you know function effectively. I think when it comes to a question of 
you know, changing or get it, you know, do we want to go with someone else? It's very hard for school districts to change administration, law firms, accountants, auditors all at one time. So it's not it common that a, that a school may be saying, I'm not happy with blank, but I'm terrified that if we move from them, we'll have no one who knows the internal workings. So I, you especially, know. you know, right now, the child, the child um, abuse act, right? Child victims and act, yeah. the knowledge and history that's needed to go back many years to some districts are facing that. So you're right. I agree. Or Holly there. Uh, well, you know, Chris, this has been great having you on. And, um, you know, like anyone else we have on here, as we wrap up, you know, we like to have you I guess, speak directly to our peers and, and really, you know, I guess, what is the single best piece of advice you can give to any, any SBL, whether they're new or seasoned? Um, you always need to know what your goal is. N know what your goal is all of the time. When you're doing anything or you're saying anything, make sure that what you're doing or saying is going to get you closer to that goal. If you don't know what your goal is, you will never be able to quantify your progress or your success. And that's going to lead to difficulty communicating with your superintendent, your other administrators, and your board. And if you have difficulty communicating, that ends up breaking down your trust. And once the trust is broken down, the relationship is, it probably can't be salvaged. So I think it all starts with that, knowing what it is you're trying to accomplish and making sure that what you do and say is toward accomplishing that goal. Yeah, very well said, Chris. And, you know, the trust and the relationship is is super important. So uh, we can't thank enough of your time today and your sage advice. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to get something out of this today. So we appreciate your time. Very Sorry. much appreciate being invited. Thank you again for tuning into SBO Perspectives. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Chris. A lot of sage advice there and, you know, many 100%. things that are on the horizon and things that we need to look out for kind of moving forward. You, you know, John, what I like most about it. So, I mean, lawyers are going to talk, right? Because he said he talks a lot, <laughs> <laughs> which is okay. Um, you know, what he's seen makes a lot of sense. I want to say there were a couple of things I really got from it was the fact that relationships. And I mean, this goes to That's our That's a common theme, right? right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because... How, think about how fundamental it is. You're your boy yet, and you have to have that trust. Um, but what I really like the most is the reputation, because I'm yeah. about that myself. Like, that's all you got, right? Yeah. Reputation. And the institutional knowledge, there's something to be said about that. I mean, to be yeah. in a district for 10, 12, 15 years is irreplaceable. It's it's, it's, it's yeah. a lot. Yeah. You, you know, you know the ins and outs of those intricacies of your collective bargaining agreements and your contracts mm -hmm. and the history is just, it's, you know, it's kind of an insurmountable thing to have as, mm -hmm. as an attorney. And most importantly, as a school district, to know that you can lean on a firm that's been around for so long. Correct. And I think that's a factor that makes this episode, I think, really informative for our peers. That they have to consider that. Uh, you have to maybe go back and say to yourself, well, what makes most sense? As you said, you can't change everything at once and you right. wouldn't want to. Right. Um, you got to think about the practical aspects surrounding that, right? So um, for the most part, um, this, I, I think, really gives a larger contextualization behind a really the relationship, you know, we want to have as with the soup and with the board um, for your attorneys. is probably one of the biggest relationships. I want to say the most important, but Definitely. Yeah, it's um, huge. 
Yeah, yeah for super sure. important. But cool. at any rate, thank you everyone again for your commitment and listening week after week. We love bringing you these conversations yes. uh, to you uh, to you every every week on the podcast, and we look forward to uh, bringing you more in the future. So we'll see you next week. <laughs>